We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to Yeah, I mean, just the position battles. Uh, I think there, I think we have many, and that's a credit to Brandon by you know creating competition. I think that depth is going to be challenged, though, as we're already seeing across the league. Uh, us, no different. We we have some guys with uh, conditions that they've come in with, uh, whether it be injury or COVID situation. So, uh, you know, we've had to, Brandon has had to at an early point already in camp uh, start to move a little bit on some things here. So. That's going to be an ongoing challenge, and, and I think it's to be expected throughout the season. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Sean McDermott. Talking about the depth of the roster coming into question this offseason, it's kind of illustrated by the opting out of Starlet Dulaway in his Monday Zoom presser over at buffalobills.com. Chris? Wild times. We've reached the end. Training camp is about to get started, and we've reached the final installment of our 2020 training camp preview series. We're here to talk about the defensive line. And as I pour myself a little whiskey on the rocks, we have a first-time guest for the people, Mr. Greg Thompson. Mr. Thompson, how are you doing this evening? Good, good. Excited to be able to jump on with you guys. It's it's fun to have people that you talk back and forth with so often, and now we get to do it officially. It's I feel like we're consummating our relationship. <laughs> See, folks, you can already tell, probably tell from the uh, mild and dulcet tones of his voice. He he's a more he's a less manic presence here on the Rockpile Report podcast, and I'm glad we could finally get him on for a show. Chris, he's one of the. Remember how I throw around the term the quote unquote smart people? Yeah. I, I, Greg 
he's kind of loosely associated with that crowd. <laughs> he's, I, I pretend well. I pretend pret- on occasion. He pretends to be part of the quote-unquote smart people that I'm constantly referring to. Yeah, but his, his hair part says otherwise. Oh, he has a million. His hair is, Chris, his haircut is what your haircut wishes it was. And then when it realized it couldn't, it started to act out. <laughs> that, that's exactly what happened here. <laughs> For those of you who may not be familiar, living under a rock somewhere, Mr. Greg Thompson, he does the podcast for Cover One that covers, uh, CoverOne.net that covers the Buffalo Bills. He is the coiner of the phrase non-zero chance, which I'm going to make you explain to people here. And you recently moved. You moved your home and your kids and your family, and you're currently in the middle of unboxing everything as we speak. What fresh hell has that been like, sir? Oh, so I've came to realize that my handyman muscles are horribly out of shape so my, my hands my wrists my forearms are just constantly sore from opening boxes putting together shelves putting together beds and tables and uh all the different things that we had to disassemble to move and i it just made me feel bad about myself on top of the fact that i'm living amongst boxes so it's just a pretty terrible existence at the moment it's a dark time i mean i told my wife when we bought our house after we moved in, got everything unpacked, I looked around. It was probably two or three days after we were finally in the house. And I just told her, look, honey, when the time comes and we do this again, I'm going to soak down the neighbor's roofs and set this thing on fire. Because let's face it, I'm not moving any of this. We'll buy, we'll buy new stuff. I'm not Seriously. doing this again. And this, this phrase of yours, non-zero chance, you throw it around constantly <laughs> It's, again, you're one of the smart people. Why don't you explain for everybody what that means? So when people ask questions, you know, they'll be, you know, it it goes back to the Dumb and Dumber line of, uh, so uh, what's the odds of us getting together here? And, well, one in a million? So you're saying there's a chance. And it's that kind of idea that when people ask something, yeah, technically it's possible. It could happen, but it's very, very unlikely. So in like mathematics and in statistical analysis, non-zero chance simply means that it's you know less than one, less than a tenth of a percent, a very low percentage chance. But it's not zero. There's a non-zero chance that it could happen. Uh, it's just very unlikely. Well, Chris, I'll tell you what there's a zero chance of. Mr. Starletulule suiting up for the Buffalo Bills this season. <laughs> And he's done. He's gone. He's out. Forcing me to, you know, change my podcast discussion, change my notes. Because, Chris, I don't, I've done a little bit less prep than usual. So I've cut down to what, six pages now from the usual 10 or 11 that I send you? I don't even, I don't know. What, I don't even know how many you sent over. But with 0% chance Starlet Tulley suits up for the Buffalo Bills this season. I want to jump into this conversation as we talk about. The state of the defensive line ahead of training camp here, ahead of any kind of competitions, practices, and what have you. When we take a look at the current state of the roster, Chris, and again, this is pre-Starletule opting out, our cap allocation set at $61.6 million. That constituted 27.9% of the bill's total available cap space. Not only is that the highest on the roster between defensive ends and defensive tackles, but it's the number one spending on defensive line in the NFL. And out of that group, you have maybe six starters. Maybe six. Now, does that surprise you, Greg? 
So it does surprise me in the sense that we don't have a Miles Garrett, Von Miller type contract in there. So it, it does surprise me. I knew that we paid a lot and that we have a lot of well-paid guys. We actually don't have any players in the top 30 of the highest paid defensive linemen in the NFL, but we actually have number 31, 32, and 34 because that's where the line of like that $10 million line is. So where Mario Addison comes into play and Jerry Hughes and even Trent Murphy, having guys like that, it all kind of starts to line up in that area. So I was surprised it was number one, but I knew we spent a lot. I, it, it blew my mind. And so then as you start to, to, to your point, undress some of the talents that you have there. Now, you're not going to have Star Latule, who was the only, I think, true zero technique that we had on the roster. So it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of fill that hole. Yeah, it, it's going to be, so many fans are almost celebrating like they're like, oh, well, Star was our worst defensive lineman. So this is now a net positive that removing mm. him somehow helps the team. And I constantly have this battle, whether it's Star, Trent Murphy at other positions, Lee Smith, Patrick DeMarco. Just because you don't think a guy is a good value doesn't mean he's a bum who doesn't deserve to be on an NFL roster. Guys like that would be unemployed for a day, just like Brian Winters was. We would cut them, and another team would sign Star Latule. T- isn't Star isn't uh, Star Latule like what he brings to the table is not something that you see on a stat sheet? I mean, that's that's the theory. A uh, one tech, his job is to maintain blockers, to be able to keep guys off of the linebackers to take up that idea and to let guys run free. And they would always ask, if you don't think Star is any good, go back and ask Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis how good they think he was. And that, you know, I think it's really hard to attribute how much of the statistical performance of the linebackers behind them are attributed to the the defensive tackle, of the one tech in front of them. But that's the theory of that scheme. So then when you look at who's still here to try to pick up the slag in his absence, you've got Vernon Butler. Former first-round draft pick of, uh, I guess, a front office that contained both, well, I guess a brain trust when it comes to drafting players that contained both Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. He was drafted to be a three-tech, kind of penetrating pass-rushing defensive lineman. Had a poor career, but last year seemed to come on. And that's why he's only here on a one-year prove-it deal similar to those that we kind of put out there for other players over the last few years. You've got Quentin Jefferson, who's... An interesting case. He's another pass-rushing defensive lineman. He's versatile in that he can play 5-tech or 3-tech, and he's tough against the run. He, But he also finished 5th in the NFL for pass-rush win rate among defensive tackles, which I find highly impressive for a guy that has that kind of versatility. Now, Seahawks fans were surprised to see him leave, given how important he was to their defensive line in 2019. And anytime fans of other teams are upset to see somebody go... I'm it, it, it warms my cold black heart a little bit. <laughs> well, I, and if you look at that list for any fan who hasn't seen it, where that list has been passed around by several people, every other name on that list is a household football name. It's Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, Calais Campbell. It is all of the stud defensive linemen. Two of them happen to be Quentin Jefferson and Ed Oliver. Uh, so that's encouraging that we now have, I think, number five and number six, maybe five and seven uh, on the list. And it's the way that he's able to beat his blocks, be versatile, be used in different areas. But yeah, we, we don't have a natural replacement for star. Uh, I mean, I, in theory, Vincent Taylor is the only natural one technique on the roster. Um, and guys like 
Vernon Butler that you brought up there, he's very much a Jordan Phillips kind of player. Like he looks like a one tech, but he's actually a three tech and Mm -hmm. he plays more of that penetrating style, even though he's huge and looks like he should be that kind of, you know, guy who holds the point of attack. Um, And I think he can do it better than Jordan Phillips. Jordan Phillips was terrible at one technique and we got run all over anytime he was in the game. (laughs) Well, and that's Um, why when fans, uh, Chris, when there was a subset of Bills fans who were really upset when Jordan Phillips, when they said, hey, look, we're going to let you test the market. There was a part of me that kind of wondered, you know, and I know I'm usually in some sort of a drunken haze when these games, especially the ones where we're having the ball run down our throat. Yep. I usually find myself in these drunken hazes, but as I'm watching this happen, I go back to that in my head and I think, why isn't anybody still angry about this? Because I am. Where was this guy? He was a liability against the shirt. Okay, he had a ton of sacks for us. That's great, but if you can, if you're a one-trick pony, then that limits what you can do here for this Buffalo Bills defense that prioritizes versatility. So in that way, knowing that sacks is what gets you paid, they decided to go ahead and let him test the market. And I wasn't upset about that at all, but there were some Bills fans who, who were apoplectic about it, and I just couldn't wrap my head around that. Now, yeah. If there's anything people could be mad about, there was a small window where maybe prior to the season or early in the season, maybe you could have got him back on a two-year $12 million deal, two-year $11 million deal before he got to three years and $36 million or whatever the heck he got from the Cardinals. <laughs> yeah. um, you could be upset about that. Then maybe we should have had some foresight to lock him up early. But once he got to that point, he was going to get overpaid, and he did get overpaid. There's almost no chance he lives up to that contract. That's what happens when you get sacks. When you get, yeah. I mean, Miles Garrett signing one of the richest, uh, Miles, richest contracts ever. He's not a bad player, but is he the richest contract ever player? I, I don't know. The defenses he's been a part of have been pretty bad. Well, doesn't it generally uh, occur based on, well, it's your time for a new contract. Essentially. So, I mean, that's what happens with like the quarterback position. Your Joe Flacco's, your Matt Stafford's, it's, their contract Kirk is up. Cousins. So they're yeah. going to get the highest paid. I'm sure next year there's going to be somebody that gets an even higher payout. Oh, I'm sure. But that doesn't mean that it should happen. And I mean, I don't want to promote collusion. (laughs) But at the same time, I think if all GMs just got together and said, all right, let's put, maybe this COVID thing is the best thing for the NFL in that regard. In the sense that by lowering the salary cap and by lowering the amount it grows by, you're going to build some fiscal responsibility into these teams instead of just continuing this trend of overpaying simply because that guy's good, so I must spend $100 million on him. And hopefully it happens before this next guy needs a contract, and that's Ed Oliver, last year's first-round draft pick. Guy had his ups and downs. He still needs to develop against the run, I think. Which is something, Chris, I kind of alluded to when we drafted him. You're, you were you spent your collegiate years playing Rice. Okay? <laughs> I, I will never forget. You can look dominant against Rice. You, and There's a lot of NFL football players who would find themselves in that kind of category. But, to your point, Greg, he finished seventh for pass rush win weight behind Jefferson. In his second year, you're looking for him to become more consistent, I think. But overall, there's a lot to work with there, and there's reason to believe he will. Then there's Harrison Phillips, a former third-round pick coming back from an ACL tear. I I don't know what he projects to. Is he a replacement for Star? Do you see him as a, you know, kind of a zero or a five-tech sort of, I'm going to hold blockers? I mean, what what is the role now? given the bodies that are currently at that position that you see for Harrison Phillips. 
So it's interesting. Right before his injury, he was actually starting to take some of the snaps from Sarlatule in their one-tech, zero-tech area, being able to hold the point of attack. And he started to really come on. And the game right before he got hurt, you know, he was up there at 43% of the snaps played, and that was an injury that occurred in the fourth quarter. So he was going to actually play more than that. So he had started to take over more of Star's snaps at that point. So I don't know if we can then count on him to come back and be ready, you know, 11 months after tearing his ACL. You saw some of the other guys who were kind of rushing back. But as that one game, as an example, in the Cincinnati game, Star played 35% of snaps. Harrison Phillips played 43%. And I think that that was becoming a formal transition, that it was going to be, I don't know if it was going to be starter and backup flopping, but I think the snap count was going to go Harrison Phillips' way. If he comes back, I think he is the more natural fit to hold the point of attack and play that one technique kind of selfless team-centered role and let Vernon Butler still be more of the Jordan Phillips penetrating role, um, although both of them can play a little bit of it. So I, I don't know, and it's hard to guess where people are in oh, yeah. ACL recovery, but if he is, I think he's the best shot they have. Well, and then you've got Vinny Taylor, who you mentioned his name, but honestly, I, I'd almost forgotten he existed until I looked at the roster myself. I mean, he was taken off the Dolphins practice squad. made. It's usually a good move by us <laughs> when we take people off of their – that play on the defensive he, line that we take off the Dolphins roster. He was actually claimed almost exactly one year from when they claimed Jordan Phillips. Well, and the, the thing that drove me crazy about this, though, is that they gave him an opportunity and he fell on his face. I mean, that's he's the, his failure is the reason we had to go out and sign Corey Legit. Yes. In the middle of the season last year. So I don't expect big things from him. Now, as we look at the outside and the boundaries of this group, just in terms of personnel makeup, Trent Murphy... You mentioned people who get mad about, oh, this player sucks, and we would celebrate his release. Trent Murphy might be number one with a bullet. Oh, you think? He's decent against the run. He generates okay pressure. You'll see him behind the line of scrimmage a lot of times. He makes the occasional tackle for loss, but he was widely expected by everybody, myself included, to be cut for cap relief in the run-up to 2020. It didn't happen. We didn't make enough corresponding moves to justify the release. And when you look back at it, Chris, he finished second in sacks by defensive ends last year. So that's not nothing. And he's not a terrible player. But I think at his age and his price tag, 29 and 9.7 million, he could could almost certainly be upgraded as you head into 2021. (laughs) I think in 2020, he's a slightly above average presence for this team. Although, I'll never fucking forgive this guy. Never forgive him for being in on that play where somehow two people ran into Deshaun Watson and he didn't go down because nobody used their arms. I'm walking away. I can't take it. it. It's tough when you have a guy like Trent Murphy where, you know, it, it was obviously an overpay at the time. He's there to be able to be a contributing force with other players like Jerry Hughes in a, in a solid rotational piece in a defensive end rotation. But, you know, it's tough for him to live up to those kind of numbers. I will say, I mean, he had six sacks in the last six games of the year. Um, he finished with some legitimate production. He is probably a better run defender than people want to say. And I will say your point about he wasn't cut yet. 
You have to remember, at this point last year, the exact sentence you said also applied to LaShawn McCoy, that he was expected to be cut, he hadn't been yet, we're not sure what's going on. There's actually no financial benefit to cutting Trent Murphy March 1st versus August 31st. It's the exact same cap savings. So I'll believe it when he's on the active 53-man roster that he hasn't been cut. Then you got Jerry Hughes. This guy, I don't know how the hell he does it, Chris. I mean, this guy takes a beating out there. He had wrist surgery after the season was over. Calvin Shepard, 2.0. I think I actually think multiple surgeries. I think he had more than one. And, and what what blows my mind is that he's I, Chris. I don't Mark. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he has what one missed game and never. He. I don't think he's missed a start. I don't think he's missed a start for the Bills in the time that we've had him here. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the most physical guy. But he's probably one of the most dependable in terms of just availability and knowing what you're going to get out of him. Over the course of his career, he's been one of the most dependable Bills we've had. And we fleeced the Colts. Fleeced the Colts by trading them Kelvin Shepard straight up. Honestly, one of the better trades in Bills history. Like genuinely one of the best trades in Bills history. Pete, no one's going to remember this, Greg, 20 years from now. But between you and me, as I raise my glass of whiskey, mark my words, in my heart of hearts, I will go to the grave knowing that that trade was the best value swap in team history. And you're spot on. I actually didn't realize it was zero, but the man has been with the Bills for seven seasons, and he has never missed a game. He has played 16 (laughs) games every single season that he's ever been on the roster. Now, he's not perfect. He did post the second highest missed tackle percentage on the defense in 2019. But he brought four and a half sacks to the table, and he kind of shares what I call the Trent Murphy trifecta. Aging, expensive, needs to be upgraded sometime soon. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously our top draft pick this year being a defensive end is not a is not a accident. That, that didn't happen by accident. Needing to upgrade the defensive end position with some legitimate youth was very real. Um, I'm not a Bam Johnson, you know, fanatic. I, I, I see the upside that people see, but I also saw him be our worst run defender on the roster last year when they played. They couldn't even play him over the second half of the year because it was an automatic audible that every time he was in the game, just run right at him and it was a free seven yards. Um, So maybe he overcomes that because he did come from, you know, an NAI school and, and, you know, has the physical gifts. Maybe he develops. But beyond that, there's not a lot of youth on this roster at defensive end. So having that, I think Oliver, or I, I think Hughes can still be a small piece of a rotation at defensive end for another year or two, but he can't be that prominent number one guy um, beyond this year. I'm hoping he has one more hurrah on him, but I, I would love to see him, and I'm sure we'll get to Mario Addison in a minute, but both of them go from the 60-65% of snaps down closer to 50 so that we can be precise about using them and keep them fresh as the year goes. You're very astute because that's the next name on my list because he's part of the trifecta, as I call them, the Trent Murphy trifecta. Addison might be the oldest player on the Bills at this point. I think he's 36, 37. He's not a true 4-3 defensive end. In the same way that Lorenzo Alexander wasn't a 4-3 defensive end. But when you look at his history and their previous utilization, he's gonna he's a pressure player. That's what he's here to do. He's here to play in the box, make some sure he doesn't have range, but he'll make some tackles against the run, and he'll bring pressure for you. Yeah. Now, 
he's probably one of the most interesting signings of the offseason considering even with his age, he's managed nine sacks per season over the last three years. Four even. To four. So those numbers are impressive. I just wonder how long those could continue. And his contract, I mean, it's team-friendly, so we're not... Chris, we can get out of it next year if we have to. I'm just wondering in 2020... He's a chess piece, essentially. Would you agree with that? He's kind of an expensive, we know what we're going to get out of this guy chess piece. It, it's interesting. I think people would be surprised if you look at some of the the analytics out there at defensive end. It's actually one of the positions that ages the best of any league. If you think of your guys you know, like Michael Strahan and Cameron Wake. And there's a lot of guys who pass rush into their mid and late thirties reasonably well, just in Houston. Um, and as you go through there, Mario Addison would be that age of the end of his contract. He's actually only about to turn 33. He's 32 right now. He'll turn 33 right before the first game of the season starts. Um, so not that that's much different than 36. That's what he would be at the end of the contract, but he's, like you said, very consistent in what he does, and I think his game is is aging well because he was never a Von Miller. He was never a Khalil Mack off the edge. He wins with power, collapsing the pocket, using great technique, using good footwork to set up moves. Those things are going to age reasonably well from a defensive line standpoint. So I don't know that we see the value of all three years of this contract, but I actually think he's going to come in and be the best counter option to pass rush Jerry Hughes has had since Mario Williams. We haven't even gotten to the hot take part of this podcast yet. I want that isolated, Chris. I'm going to keep that for future use. <laughs> Jesus. And then when we look I, at I like Mario Addison. I, I, I think he's better than most people realize he's going to be. And then when we look at the youth on the roster, now you mentioned Bam, Jer- Bam Johnson, who goes by a different name on this uh, podcast that we're going to get to in a little bit. But uh, I can't wait. Mike Love and John Woodard, two guys that I don't really know a ton about. I mean, we talked to Mike Love on this podcast, actually. So we I do know a little bit about him. His career highlight thus far, though, Mike, if you're listening, don't don't crucify me now. I invited you to my home. We were going to have subs and do a podcast. <laughs> you almost sacked Tom Brady. That's the highlight. That is the career highlight for Mike Love. You almost sacked Tom Brady. I saw it with my own two eyes. I asked him about it. He said it was exhilarating. But that doesn't touch almost. Almost. almost, <laughs> almost. It was almost exhilarating. You can't find almost on a stat sheet. He represents the most experienced of our developmental players. And he's got durability issues, but he does have the requisite skill set and athleticism to be a defensive end at the NFL level if he can put it all together. Woodard, a guy I literally have never heard of until I took a look at Spotrack and found out he was on the roster. So I didn't look in any further into it because it's like office space. Naga, Naga, not going to work here anymore. Not going to work here anymore. Not going to work here anymore. It doesn't matter. And then AJ Epinesa, the pick that derailed our draft night show, at least as far as our production was concerned. Chris, you put together one of the best draft night places for me to radio in from. Greg, if you could have seen it. He had cables running to TVs, my wall-mounted flat screens behind him so that he could put graphics and statistics up for me so that I could sound smarter than I really am, almost like a teleprompter. What was great about that is is I explained it to you beforehand what I wanted to do, and then you're like, "Ah, I don't don't know. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to do it, and then... If you don't like it, then I'll just not do it. And so, you're like, oh, I love this. So I have like I three text, screens. I get a text message from my <laughs> wife, and she goes, hey, FYI, Chris is here. 
He's setting up multiple computers on our table downstairs. I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. And I was just like, just okay. Well, babe, you have faith in me? I came home. All right. He had a dual monitor set up so I could have my laptop, a monitor facing me, his own monitor facing him that was being projected onto TVs behind him so he could teleprompt me. And then he's messaging me on Messenger throughout the course of the night. Hey, do you want this stat? Do you want numbers on this? Do you want this? Producer of the year, Chris Kruger over here. That's insanely impressive, and I'm incredibly jealous. I need a producer. Yeah, and then we hear, what, 54th overall? So 54th overall, you've got uh, Mims. Denzel Mims is on the board, and so is J.K. Dobbins. And the Bills take A.J. Epinesa. And I think I drank an entire 8% IPA right there on the spot. And then the rest of the night was just a tailspin that left all of the hashtag sports fans hating my guts by the end of the night. See, my thing with AJ, uh, for you at least, so if you think over the last seven to ten years, you probably would say Jerry Hughes is the best pass rusher that we have had, correct? Yeah, and we didn't draft him. Okay, yeah, but he wins with, he's a speed guy. He wins with speed most of the Mm -hmm. time. AJ wins with power. You haven't seen that, so you don't believe that yet. Is, 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 that, is that a valid point? Greg, this is one of those rare times where Chris actually has a football thought, and he's tripped me up here. He really has, because now I have to yeah, sit on Greg, is, well, Greg, is, is that this? not a thought? Is that not no, no, a no, decent 100%, thought? 100%. I think that's a valid train of Thank thought you. that there's not a great frame of reference for his skill set, so that it's hard to assume or give him the benefit of the doubt. I'll also add in another piece do you know what draft pick people were really disappointed with the year before because there was really crappy combine uh, numbers and his athletic profile didn't seem to match where he was drafted, but he had production in college and we just kind of had to give him the benefit of the doubt? Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary was the worst athlete of any <laughs> running back in the entire draft. He, he seemed okay at football. Okay, so, so I want I want you to know though when they picked Devin Singletary again on the tablet. same draft show being broadcast live over the internet in front of a few hundred people, I flipped my tablet and put my head down at the table. You put your head down on the table like Jim Carrey in uh, Ace Ventura. <laughs> you just so very aggressively. Yes. Because I had just gotten done saying all the Bills have to do is land a good wide receiver or a skill player or whatever. A great athlete here, and this draft is a home run. And then Devin Singletary is the pick, and I was like, why did I open my mouth? I did this. I'm the mush. So I should be put in the bathroom. <laughs> so the My pitch on AJ Epinesa is the last time people watched football and watched film, he was a consensus top 15 pick and never mocked outside the 15th player. After the underwear Olympics, he was, hey, we don't need this guy. He's not any good. No one had played any football since then. There were no games that changed anyone's opinion of him. So the Bills getting a player like that that late, I thought was fantastic value. He's not not ever going to be Yvonne Miller. He's not ever going to turn the corner like Khalil Mack, but he throws grown men around with his bare hands. The left tackle that our division rival Dolphins played. If you'd like a preview of AJ, of AJ Epinesa, go look up Iowa USC, and he ragdolls him about ten times in that game. I actually have, and I'm going to put it in the link in the description of tonight's show. We're going to put a link to it. There's a podcast called Talking Giants, who did a breakdown of a former NFL, uh, former Giants offensive tackle, and 
or and a podcaster, they do a snap by snap video breakdown of that game, literally just focusing on AJ Epinesa and Austin Jackson going at each other that entire game. And it is one of those things that if you like me were a doubter of AJ Epinesa, it's gonna it's gonna change the way you do look at him to a certain degree. It will. And, and I'll, he's never gonna be a fifteen sack Maven. He it's just not what he is. I don't think it's crazy to think he could be a Chris Kelsey kind of player that has an awful lot of six to eight sack seasons with great run defense and helps collapse the pocket that gives Ed Oliver and other people high snap count or high sack totals and can be just like Jordan Phillips was the beneficiary last year that other people actually did the work and caused the hurry and he technically got the sack. I actually think AJ Epines is going to cause a lot of those kind of corollary domino effects sacks. You just said the name Chris Kelsey on my podcast. <laughs> Do you have no shame, sir? No shame. And, and, and I did it with uh, trying to make a positive point. Ugh. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than with our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com. Use the offer code ROCKPILE or dealdash.fm slash ROCKPILE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash ROCKPILE. All right, so with that said, group overview. When we take a look at this group as a whole and our prevailing thoughts, my view on these guys, as a lot of my opinions, are gonna, it's going to come across as highly unpopular, so I urge you, if you can, to strap yourselves in and grab a fresh beer. I'm not overly impressed. Not only am I not overly impressed, but it's probably the first time I've ever questioned Brandon Bean. Now, I say that not because I don't like these players individually. I say that because for a team that's trying to... Chris, Chris it's trying to win while establishing a sustainable model. They did fuck all about augmenting our pass rush with high upside youth. And by that, I mean... Cheap pass rush talent that you can groom for the future. And that's illustrated by the price tag that this group currently carries for a questionable rate of return. An unknown rate of return. And non-proven. 
Our defensive tackles are clearly the strength of this defensive line right now, which is hilarious. When you think about last year when Harrison Phillips goes down with an injury, we had to go fishing on the open market to find his replacement. They've doubled down on that position to make sure we're never in those shoes again. And I think that this group has an interesting combination of talents that's going to allow for some scheme flexibilities in ways that last year's group definitely couldn't. With Ed Oliver being a rookie, Jordan Phillips' questionable skill set, Harrison Phillips being the only one who could rotate and fill star shoes. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like what we're doing here, Greg. Jefferson. Wrecking ball on the inside on passing downs. At Oliver, Vernon Butler, you can do an ent- a lot of interesting things from a, an alignment standpoint and a technique standpoint with them. Our defensive ends, though, are a massive question mark to me. If I'm being a pragmatic Bills fan, I mean, there's teams in far worse positions than we are, considering that we have a floor of production to work with. And we've got the ultra-durable and consistent Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison and his consistent nine sacks, Trent Murphy. But beyond those three, none of whom on their own is ever going to take over a game. They're not. Chris, do you remember in the Mario Williams era of football? Yeah. Okay. So Mario Williams ruined the Carolina Panthers versus Buffalo Bills games with AJ with EJ Manuel as the quarterback. Yeah. The reason that Carolina didn't go home with a W that day was because of Mario Williams. Four sacks. Harassing the quarterback constantly, destroying, blowing up runs in the backfield. It was, um, he murdered their entire game plan. We don't have that guy. And yet, we're paying a hefty premium for it. A huge price tag. Just like our wide receivers, Chris. We are, we are paying one of the highest price tags for wide receiver talent in the NFL. And we don't have a proven floor of production. I have the same, I talked about it with Nate Geary. I have the same concerns here with the defensive ends. I, but I do think that this is the most pass rush talent that McDermott's had at his disposal. So I'm lukewarm on it and I'm optimistic. Greg, can you try to help both myself and our listeners with some more, a little bit of positivity? Give me something. Yeah, give me, give us your smart people. Take. So I I would give you the player you referenced earlier is like the Miles Garrett kind of player, the Shaq Barrett kind of player that leads the NFL in sacks on a horrible defense that loses 11 games. That doesn't really matter. Like the one player, you know, Von Miller missed the playoffs last year. Khalil Mack missed the playoffs last year. You have to have a full defense that does it. Brandon Thorne I had on my show a couple weeks ago who does the Trench Warfare podcast is probably regarded as one of the best you know line analysis guys in the business right now. Um, he actually said what he's really excited about is this reminds him a ton of what Howie Roseman put together in the Eagles Super Bowl season. Go back to that year. They wanted with throwing waves of defensive linemen at people. Real quick, off the top of your head, who is their best pass rushing defensive end on that Super Bowl team? Everyone can name Fletcher Cox. I was going to. Everyone say- can name the guys in the middle. Was there any household name off the edge? Uh, did they have uh, Brooks? Derek, Derek Barnett? Did they have Derek him Barnett. yet? Did they have him yet? Sure. I mean, he hasn't signed with anyone. I think he's had like a six sack season. <laughs> Brandon Graham was okay Brandon on Graham? that team. Not Jerry Hughes is better than both of those players. Okay. So the fact that we have 11 NFL defensive linemen 
all of whom will be on NFL rosters this year, short of, I guess, Starla Tule knocks that down to 10. Every single one of those 10 defensive linemen, because we're probably going to cut two of them, they will both be signed. I will bet substantial amounts of money that we have 10 players on our roster right now who will play NFL games this year, all of them contributing with snaps. Wow. They are going to be able to throw constant waves of above average defensive linemen at the other team over and over and over again. So I think that when we have probably the best coverage back seven in the NFL between linebackers and secondary, you know, corners and safety, when you can now just throw waves of guys at people, we don't need anyone to play 80% of snaps. You can keep everyone fresh and just throw guys over at them. We don't need one guy to wreck a game. We need everyone to win their snap that one play. Chris, does that make you feel better? I mean, yeah, Greg just said a bunch of smart stuff, which... <laughs> Smart stuff has never come out of your mouth, I'll tell you that. Listen, my, my whiskey-fueled opinions, I'm willing to admit that, 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 that I, can, I can see that. I'm willing to buy into that theory, and I'm, I want to be hopeful about this group. And, that's and don't I, get me wrong. I, I wish we had I, – I was one of the biggest advocates for Yannick Ngakwe because of the same way adding Stefan Diggs has such an incredible domino effect to every other passing option in the team is that, oh, John Brown had a 1,000-yard season last year – but he had to go up against Stefan Gilmore and he had to go up against the number one cornerback every game. What can he do now with the number two corner? What can you do when you can't double cover a bracket Cole Beasley because you have to respect the fact that those guys are out there? If we could have added a guy like Ngakwe to bump everyone else down a notch and be able to go up against a lower tier of talent, I think it could have been transformative to the point of, you know, dominant defense kind of thing. They didn't. I still think they're going to be very, very good. But yes, I, I would have preferred to have a one-man wrecking crew kind of player with the other seven stud, you know, above-average defensive linemen. Instead, we're just going to have a rotation of all really good. We don't have any awesome. I think we have, like you said, six starters. I think we have six guys who mm -hmm. would start for most NFL teams. I, yes. I pulled up all the depth charts of each of the teams in our division. I feel very confident we have guys who <laughs> yeah. would be all of their top you know, six to seven guys in their rotation. Well, especially if you're um, talking about the Patriots, because I mean, woof. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, you know, teams are. We have teams in our division are starting players like Devon Godcho, um, Shalit Calhoun, um, Henry Anderson, and Steve McClendon. You know, so we have a lot of guys who are starting for other teams in our division that wouldn't make our roster, let alone be a backup. And that has to make you feel pretty good. But so now the concept is what do you want to get out of training camp? If you were to declare this a success, I say this all the time. I, I kind of intro this with every year you go into this process with something in your mind that you view as, hey, if they check these boxes, I'll feel in my heart of hearts that we did something good here, that something good came out of this preseason process. But one of the hard parts is identifying exactly what that is. I mean, Chris, I think the average fan goes into training camp and just says, okay, I want to hear nice things. I go into training camp. I want to, no injuries. Well, yeah, I want to go into training camp making sure nobody steps on a mat wrong. <laughs> Remember when we were there and watched? <laughs> oh, Kevin Cole. Oh, my God, that'll never. That, that'll be the thing that haunts the Bills. I've been in arguments with other Bills fans, but before I learned that arguing on social media is pointless and stupid, yeah. I got into an argument with, I can't tell you how many people, and at some point, they threw the, yeah, well, at least we didn't lose a quarterback to a plastic mat thing at me. You have no comeback. There is no comeback <laughs> yeah. for that. 
it's the it's like build- when you throw the butt fumble at somebody. Like, what are you gonna say? Exactly. Like, you your have quarterback no- literally had a butt fumble. Like, how how do you come back from that? It's like if you're playing rock paper scissors and someone slaps you in the face. There's no there's no comeback <laughs> for it. You, the yeah, game's no. You win. You, you took win, this round, sir. I, I I concede. I bow to you, sir. But so with that, we look at what we want to see. Co- what we would constitute is positive progress coming out of this, these training camp pro- practices and kind of the information that comes out of that. For you, what are some of the things you're looking for out of this group specifically? So in most seasons, and, and for the past 20 years of, of you know, our adult lives, we're all around the same age, that we've constantly every year had to look for who's the guy we can most afford to cut to create cap space because you always had to have that guy. We always had to have the player that, well, we're going to need to create cap space. Who can we most afford to cut? So one, you know, obviously Brandon Bean is much savvier with creating contracts than most teams. Even when he makes a mistake, he's pretty good at fixing it when he redid Starr's contract, redid Tyler Croft's contract, redid Patrick DeMarco's contract. He's able to fix most of those things. I actually made the point earlier that Trent Murphy didn't have to do that because his agent had other offers out there and said, well, if you want me to redo for that amount, just cut me because I'll go sign for more than that somewhere else. Um, Trent Murphy is the one player left on the roster that has a heavy enough financial impact that it isn't purely a football move. What I would have liked to have seen with preseason games, with inter-squad scrimmages, is was some combination of Mike Love, Daryl Johnson, and or a quick ascension of A.J. Epinesa, similar to Devin Singletary last year. They wouldn't have cut LaShawn McCoy if Singletary didn't have the preseason training camp and and, and, uh, ascension that he did. If we either saw that from Epinesa or from Daryl Johnson, Mike Love, one of those surprise guys, that it gave them the comfort level that, man, that $8 million would be awful handy to be able to make sure that we can fit Milano and Dawkins or whatever they need. I would have liked to have seen that. That's what I would have been looking for. I think with the star and EJ Gaines opt-outs all the different, and the John Feliciano injury, I think they see this as, you know, they have the most continuity of snaps, snap count coming back of any team in the NFL. They have the same GM, assistant GM, head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarterback, ever all the key positions. They have the most continuity in the NFL. They see this as a window that other teams might struggle. I think they're going to put all their chips in and keep a guy like Trent Murphy. I would have liked to have seen one of the younger guys make it that they could release him and be able to keep that money. But, but so for you, it would be a win if somebody throughout the course of these practices actually shows that he's replaceable. Yes, 100%. Right now, I'm going to assume there won't be the opportunity to show what will give them the confidence that, oh, we can let, again, not a good value. Trent Murphy is overpaid. He is a rotational defensive end roster caliber player. I think they're going to keep him because I don't know that another guy's going to have that chance. That's fair. Now, you just kind of, you talked about AJ Epinesa, and he's one of mine. And it's not so much that I want him to, because to your point, he's never going to be this, he's never going to be a world beater in terms of being a defensive end in a 4-3 defense. They're sexy, they get all the stats, they're the ones who get paid, the Miles Garretts of the world. He's never going to be that guy. But what I want to see out of A.J. Epinesa, because I was so furious over the draft pick, I want him to show that his pass rush technique can translate to the NFL. One of the cops I kept coming across for A.J. Epinesa during the pre-draft process was Cam Hayward. 
And it's not hard to see why. They're similarly built players, over six foot five, over 280 pounds, and they have similar athletic traits. Heavy hands, they set a good edge versus the run. Power is their primary ingredient of their pass rush, but their speed isn't so terrible that they can't sometimes pull a move out of their ass and make something happen. I think it's important when you to keep in mind when you look at players of that mold when it comes to matriculating to the NFL. I think that's something you have to take into account is what they're coming out of college with as a skill set. Hayward started zero games his first two seasons. He was a backup. That's it. And he only landed two and a half sacks and a total of 31 tackles. But he was learning in one of the NFL's more consistent defenses from year over year over year in Pittsburgh. I mean, Chris... Hasn't Pittsburgh always, in your mind, had a good fa- had a good defense? Uh, yeah, uh, goes all the way back to the seventies. That's what I'm saying. They they are <laughs> consistent in that regard. And when he was finally looked at to be an every down starter by his third season, he was supremely effective, and he's gone on to have a pretty solid NFL career. And that ramp up to me is important. That's the thing here because it illustrates the struggle that power pass rushers have in making a real impact. Now. You're kind of an X's and O's guy. You're Again, you're one of these smart people. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to run by you. And I want you to see if Chris... To Chris, is, uh, Chris is already scoffing at me. This is, going to be, this is going to be awesome. Traditional wisdom says that, generally speaking, you want your defensive ends attacking, quote-unquote, half the man. You want to use some speed to get an offensive tackle moving so that you can use power to displace him and get around him, either inside or outside. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Okay. What you don't want to do or see your defensive ends doing is going down the middle of the man. I mean, essentially what you're trying to do is what the Persian army did in the movie 300, the Battle of Thermopylae. I mean, for those of you who aren't history nerds, you're literally attacking your opponent directly down the middle into the strength of what they can do. That's it. It leaves you at the mercy of an offensive tackle who has the ability to anchor his lower body, and by virtue of that and the fact that he's probably starting lower than you, you're not going to be able to move him. <laughs> he's a, in fact, if anything, he's waiting for you to come to him in that regard, and that limits what you're going to be capable of doing no matter how big and powerful you are. Because in college, Epinesa was at his best when he could get half the man, but against more athletic offensive tackles, you saw a lot of reps where he kind of Chris, he relied on his power to force offensive tackles back off their feet. There was a In that game that we're going to link in the description of the show against USC, there was a number of reps where you saw him just grab the opposing tackle by the shirt and shove him backwards into the backfield. And this is a guy who wasn't, if he's off balance, you're going down. I mean, Chris, AJ Epines is a big guy. But that's where the majority of his pass rush came from. He would try to go down the middle. He, if he could get half the man, he would use power instead of speed to just push him out of the way and try to get to the quarterback. Now, I'm not saying he's a one-trick pony, but that's it. He's got a one-punch, and he's got maybe, but he doesn't have a counter. He doesn't have a spin. Greg, how limited do you see his pass rush repertoire being? So he did have good technique in college, but I think one thing you want to watch for is you brought it up earlier in the show, an example of a player who doesn't have the physical skill set but tries to play the same half-man speed, turn-the-corner game is Trent Murphy. 
And when you talked about, oh, why do you see him up the field so often? Well, because when you don't have the speed to turn the corner, you get pushed by and you go back around the quarterback. So A.J. Epinesa, because you don't see that, it's also a nod to him. He doesn't pretend to be something he's not. He do, he's plays within his skill set. When they drafted him, he has you know 90th percentile arm length. He has a great long arm move where he can literally extend, and the offensive tackle can't reach him back because his arms are longer than they are, and able to then use his you know unbelievably natural power to then pull, get them off balance, and then go by. And I, I think a lot of people have shown the reason that you're seeing so much money spent on the Aaron Donalds, the Chris Jones of the world, is that it's not impossible to chip and to scheme away or to get the ball out before an edge defender gets there, whereas coming directly at the quarterback is having increasing value in today's quick passing game. When you're able to collapse the pocket and go directly at them, there's increased value in that moving forward. Now, it's not – don't get me wrong – simply whipping your guy and going directly at the quarterback is always going to be better. But I think that just because we see a handful of those highlights when that happens, there's an awful lot of Olay whiffs with guys <laughs> going on eight yard loops around there that, you know, it, that's why you talk about the Jordan Phillips kind of seasons and there's other pass rushers, you know, Shaq Barrett being one last year that when you have a really high sack total for your pass rush and your you know hurries and pressures rate it's often unsustainable and part of that is guys who can collapse the pocket go directly at the quarterback often have more consistent pressures quarterback hurries quarterback hits and the sacks will just be luck of the draw that season and and see i guess that's the thing here his technique in that regard is fine if you're going to play in the big 10 like i give like i get at, at oliver shit for playing against teams like Rice. Yeah. Okay. Sure. It's I will fun. say the Big Ten for offensive line is no joke. It's when no you're joke. you're doing that against Wisconsin and other teams like that, it's more valid than, you're also, say, a speed receiver you're, not playing you're, in the SEC. You're, you're also playing Iowa State. <laughs> you're also playing Iowa State. Have we mentioned that he also wrestled? <laughs> oh, Isn't that, no. Is that a thing? Oh, no. We haven't mentioned he was also, that. I think he was the first, yeah, also a, a champion discus thrower. Oh, no. I mean, Disc is throwing pizzas if he can't figure out how to get his technique in line. And that's my point, I guess. It's harder to be a bully in the NFL when you're a rookie, regardless of how big you are, because those offensive tackles, they're in the show because they, they're bullies. Think about the best offensive tackles and guards you've, you've ever seen play the game. Richie Incognito. Quentin Nelson. That guy is a bully. That guy, he will manhandle you. And so when you're going up against that caliber of player, the game changes. And you can't you can't simply overpower people. What's going to go a long way for me in feeling good about the depth of the talent across our defensive line is going to be Epinesa showing that the things that he was good at in college still has a way to translate in some way, shape, or form to the NFL. And that he has the ability to at least learn enough in terms of the technical aspects and kind of ironing out those wrinkles in his game that... He at least is a. He can't pull a Cam Hayward for us here, even though he's kind of of that mold of defensive ends. He can't disappear for two years and then come on as an All Pro when he's called on. We're gonna need some contributions out of him this year. So I'll think I'll think of it as a win if he we can come out of this training camp process feeling better about Epinesa's performance and his ability to beat legitimate offensive tackles. That's it. 
I think that's a great call. And and I think the depth the Bills have there where, you know, he's going to be going up against big, powerful guys like Deion Dawkins, Cody Ford, Ty Insecki. You know, they're not perfect, flawless players, but you're not going to ragdoll any of the three of them. No. The three, those are three of the most powerful uh, offensive tackles in the game, even if maybe they don't have the greatest footwork or aren't you know <laughs> flawless in that way. Um, but that that was another thing Brandon Thorne brought up is that the Bills might have the nastiest, most aggressive physically offensive line in the NFL. Not the best, but they actually have the most physically powerful offensive line in the NFL. Well, hopefully they can teach AJ Epinesa a thing or two that he can translate into the field and, and turn into success. It's going to mean that if you hear positive things about him in one-on-one reps, it's more legit than going up against the current Jets offensive line. (laughs) No one – don't wish that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Come on. And then one of the other things I want to come out of this with, and I want to pick your brain about it, is I want to have a better idea of the variance in personnel packages the Bills are going to use. Now, I'm not backing down from what I said earlier. The individual talents of our defensive ends and tackles – they don't scream contender when you look at them at first glance. Now, to your point, in waves, and if they're constructed properly, and if you throw the right mix of talents at somebody, you could you could scheme your way to production with this group. Now, last year, in a preview show with Ken McCusick of Ravens Film Study, he was nice enough to come on our show. I figured I'd go on his we do this kind of home-and-home home series, and I go on a show, and he kind of throws a question at me about, well, what kind of specialized pass rush packages do the Bills trot out? Caught me totally off guard, my pants down. And I told him, Ken, I got to be honest with you. We don't have the personnel to do anything fancy. We just don't. Now, would you agree with me that last year's defense, that, that's fairly true? Um, I think you maybe underestimate how often they did the tackle end stunts. I think they did a lot no, of no, twists stunts. back no, and no, forth. Stunts, so. But I mean in terms of personal usage. Like, hey, this guy has a specific skill set. This guy has a special skill set. And together we can link three or four players with a specific skill set together and use them situationally. The Bills didn't yeah. have that versatility. So, well, he, they did. He retired. Zoe <laughs> so, so was that guy. Zoe Zo was the only kind of versatile, movable yes. piece that could play other spots. Shaq Lawson kicked down to three tech every once in a while. Um, but no, they, I mean, they did sign Quentin Jefferson. Quentin Jefferson played snaps at every defensive line position for Seattle. He's, in my mind, actually, when I did my show about replacing Zoe, I said this people talk about, you know, AJ Klein at linebacker, Tyler Medikevich at. Uh, you know, special teams, it's actually Quentin Jefferson where we need him because Zoe played more snaps pass rushing than he did coverage. He was the most and blitzed Qu- player on the team. Yeah, Qu- Quentin Jefferson's a player that we need to do that, and I think his versatility is a sneaky one. That get, that now has that option. We talked about it with Vernon Butler and Harrison Phillips, both able to play some one-tech, some three-tech. Jerry Hughes is what he is. Mario Addison is what he is. Trent Murphy is what he is. Honestly, Ed Oliver is what he is. We we don't. He did play zero tech in at Houston. We don't want him doing that at 280 pounds in the NFL. Um, most of the guys we have are going to play their role. The way that we're going to do that isn't necessarily versatility of moving people. It's going to be the management of the skill set and the snap count where we don't have anybody over maybe besides Ed Oliver over 60% of snaps, but a lot of people over 40 rotating all the time. Well, now here's what I want out of this team, and I need you to tell me if this is me being unrealistic. I think back to the Super Bowl years of the Giants. 
in both of those seasons, the, the Giants weren't dominant football teams. In fact, the year that they took a took a hot, fresh piss all over the undefeated season of the New England Patriots, that team almost didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. But one thing that they, they had... They caught the wild card. Well, I was going to say, one thing that they had was a disgusting rotation of talent and pass rush that they could throw at people that teams didn't have an answer for. They invented that NASCAR package and, that people talk about now. And that's it, the NASCAR package. Four defensive ends on the field at the same time. Utilized in obvious passing situations. You're talking about Justin Tuck, OCU, in his prime Justin Tuck, OCU yeah. Manuro when he was still threatening, Michael Strahan, the Hall of Fame defensive end. Yeah, who still had a little juice left in that year. Yeah, I, I'll never forget. One of my favorite things from that game is I go back and I watch it sometimes when I'm feeling particularly petty after a Patriots win over the Bills. There <laughs> like exists on YouTube like a five-minute montage of every hit Tom Brady took in that Super Bowl. And there's one of them where Michael Strahan comes in. The ball is clearly out of Tom Brady's hands. And Michael Strahan headbutts Tom Brady to the turf and then turns his back and walks away like nothing happened. Tom Brady's looking at the refs, and the refs just walk. They just casually stroll away. Just <laughs> stroll. To that, to me, is one of the most gratifying images. Like, oh, the pettiness. I love it. I love it. But the Denver so, Broncos have done that well recently. They've had high-end pass rush talent, and they've found ways to kind of mix it in. They've rotated guys. Now that the Bills have these varied talents, there's packages within this team that you could build that I think could accomplish a lot of different things. I'm thinking, you know, just, just for some examples. Hughes, Epinesa, Oliver, and Murphy. That lineup, given Epinesa's heavy hands, but he's a little more agile than a defensive tackle, it could be, depending on how that translates in, in terms of Epinesa's skill set, one of our better pressure packages. Then you've got Epinesa, Jefferson, Butler, and Oliver. Can you imagine trying to run the ball against that line with the amount of beef at the line of scrimmage? And if the goal was to play action or to try to throw out of it, we'd still have enough enough pass rush at our disposal that offensive coordinators would have to have their head on a swivel there. Quarterbacks would have to be wary of what their protection is on a given play, where the DBs are lined up. In that way, do you think that this is something that... I guess is it unrealistic for me to hope that by the end of this training camp process, we have a better idea of our coaching staff's ability to utilize these players in concert? I, 100%. I, I think that we're going to see a lot of different combinations. I can see, you know, you know how we used to last year, we would see a lot of those double uh, A gap blitz posturing where you'd have Tremaine Edmonds and Matt yes. Milano up there. You knew that 90% they weren't coming, but the team didn't know for sure. You had to prepare as though they might. They dropped out of there most of the time. Imagine a setup where that gives you the head start to allow you to have a beefy setup where you have Mario Addison, Ed Oliver, Quinton Jefferson, and A.J. Epinesa. You have those two in the double A gaps, and you ask those four to just collapse the pocket from the outside and pinch in directly on the quarterback. Um, they're going to have options to be able to do that kind of thing. You can have three bigger guys with Jerry Hughes. You can have a lot of different options like that where you're not going to give anything away. There isn't going to be a down lineup and a passing down lineup because, again, it, it's the downside of it is, like you said, we don't have that game-wrecking presence. We don't have that Mario Williams, that you know Joey Bosa kind of player. We don't have that one individual game-wrecking guy. We also don't have a ton of 
guys who are only one or the other, who can only do one thing from a run versus pass standpoint that, you know, last year when they had when they had games where you caught Jordan Phillips and the wrong combination, Jordan Phillips, Jerry Hughes, some of the lighter guys on and Daryl Johnson on the field at the same time, and they ran no huddle running the ball, and you couldn't you either had to take a timeout or get them off the field. It was really tough. I don't think we're going to have that downside this year, even if we don't have the glorious ceiling of one guy destroying people. I think that there's they raised the floor of our worst defensive lineman is going to possibly be the best in the NFL. We will have the best eighth defensive lineman in the NFL. Damn. What do you say to that, Chris? This is the layman sitting here listening to <laughs> listening to all this conversation? I'm still on my high from earlier when I had that. <laughs> Sweet football take of you didn't like Epineza because he doesn't have the skill set of Jerry Hughes because all you know of a good defensive end is what Jerry Hughes has done over the last I, it was five really to seven savvy. years. Yeah. That's the smartest thing I've done on this podcast in five years. <laughs> well, Chris, toast to you and your moment. You have it, sir. I, I empower you. Good for you. It, it's really sound. It's, it's, a, it's a mental ninja. I, I like it. Right. So in terms of key position battles, usually we have something juicy to talk about for each one of these. Well, actually, this offseason we haven't. This offseason has been relatively quiet because most of the dust was settled after the draft. You kind of knew where everyone was going to slot in. Now, as you heard in the intro to the show, McDermott thinks our depth is going to come into question. He believes that it's going to be tested, and I believe that the departure of Starla Tule was a part of that. Would you agree with that? That that maybe oh, for sure. That maybe do you think I, I that think caught them a, by it's surprise? A precursor to the kind of year it's going to be, it is inevitable that teams are going to have players test positive during the season. It's just unavoidable. That's going to happen. Now we can hope it doesn't happen to the Bills, but they have to plan as though it's going to. Now, so in that regard, in one of the most I guess the only place I see any real competition is this question. Do we keep a fifth defensive end? In that regard, knowing how important the defensive line is going to be to the overall defense, I mean, barring injury, Murphy, Hughes, Epinesa, they're locks for the roster. So that leaves a fourth spot that I would assume has to be occupied by Mario Addison because there's nowhere else to put him. You're not going to put him in the defensive tackle group. No, no, he's an end for sure. And he's not going to fit in with the linebackers. Now, I went over the history of the roster since the since McDermott got here in Buffalo. He seems pretty set on only carrying four defensive ends and four defensive tackles into a season. I can't find a year where he had more than eight at the two positions combined. Not, counting, Not on the opening roster. There's been a few games yes, where he carried a, nine. There's been a few games, but ultimately from cutdown day going into week one, he's never carried more than eight. So what happens to everybody else? How hard is it going to be for any of these depth options at defensive end, barring injury, to get any kind of a sniff at the final roster? I mean, you talked about him before, Daryl Johnson, or as we like to call him, the pterodactyl. (laughs) Yes, the pterodactyl! Nothing makes me happier than knowing that there is a man with a seven and a half foot wingspan. Listen, if you put a squirrel suit on him, he could take off from the sideline. That's what I'm talking about. He, what was it? When he got his sack in the preseason against Carolina, I was like, there it is. The pterodactyl. He scooped up, he scooped up Kyle Allen and flew away into the rafters. 
That's awesome. So the penalty that those guys are going to have is they're going to be at the mercy of the new roster construction rules because there is no scenario where there's a better fit than the expanded 16-man practice squad that you can protect four players each week and that you can also call up two of them for two-game stretches without exposing them to waivers than the combination of Mike Love, Daryl Johnson, uh, if for some reason Brian Cox Jr., Jonathan Woodard, or someone made a run. Jesus, I forgot about guys, Brian Cox Jr. altogether, but I that's probably because, because I hate his father. His yeah, fa- I can't acknowledge him. I was 13 years old. Not even, I think I was 12. I just remember being a little kid, and I asked my dad, why isn't he in jail? Why isn't that guy in jail? He flipped off the fans. And my father, Nick, like a good father, he let it go. He didn't acknowledge it. He didn't try to placate me as a child he just let me stew in my anger and i remember after that game when we lost punching my pillow in my room and just thinking god what what is happening here life isn't fair yeah yeah no, so i i i usually don't acknowledge him but that combination mike love and daryl johnson are the two that i was talking about as nfl roster caliber guys they're the kind of guys who would get signed if we release them and they would be the seventh or eighth lineman for some other team, they also would be a perfect fit for that spot. And I think that that's where the danger comes in. Obviously if they cut Trent Murphy for financial reasons, one of them just makes a roster straight out. They keep it. Uh, Vincent Taylor is the other player out of those three. So Vincent Taylor, Mike Love, Daryl Johnson, they're perfect fits for that spot where if you need an extra body that week, if one of your guys is maybe a little dinged up, not enough to go on the new IR rule, not enough to maybe you're just going to sit him. Oh, we need Vincent Taylor to come up for a week because we need to give Vernon Butler a week off or whatever. Um, Having those guys there, I think that's more likely is that they're in that key top end rotation from the practice squad call ups than they are making it as a ninth roster spot. I would be surprised if nine D linemen make it on the 53 man roster, I would not be surprised if we have nine linemen on the active roster for more than half the games this year. Wow. Well, since, since that's a little, that's strong considering them usually carried eight to your point, they sometimes carried nine, but I could see a world where it happens. I guess I could get there. We like to end these shows by giving our guests an opportunity to make a bold prediction. Plant your flag, you know? Sow your oats a little. Feel yourself a little bit out here in these podcast waters. What is your bold prediction for the Buffalo Bills this preseason? Coming out of this preseason, going into 2020. So, I'll try to fit it in with what we've been talking about. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to be in the top five in the NFL in sacks without any one player being in the top 30 in sacks. Wow. Okay. Book I think they're going to have six players with eight sacks, that kind of setup, where they're going to be in that group where they get 55 sacks on the year but don't have anyone with more than 10, more with double figures. I think it's going to be that kind of year with a group mentality, maybe a few more blitzes from Tremaine, some of the fun stuff coming off the corner every once in a while, and then just consistent rotation with everybody getting snaps, and there won't be one guy to point to of who had the great season, but you'll step back at the end and be like, holy crap, we were fourth in the NFL in sacks. Chris, that sounds like my wet dream. <laughs> yeah, it does. Chris, if the Bills are routinely sacking quarterbacks, 
and we're not at the stadium. We're in my house watching these games. It's going to be brutal. <laughs> it's going to be brutal. <laughs> but that also gives me the opportunity to get more gifts of you. Ugh, folks, Chris I loves, like, Chris I like loves, where that's going. He loves to watch me watch football. We have a whole portfolio of gifts that exist of me watching football. He's hilarious. <laughs> so with that in mind, your hot takes. We've reached the end of our training camp series. For those of you listening at home, I want to hear your hot takes. We're going to be taking them all. Seagram's bets? We'll take on all comers. We do have a lot of Seagram's in the refrigerator. Bring them over to us at Rockpile Report on Twitter. Greg, why don't you tell the people where they can find your work and where they can find you on social media? Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, come on over, coverone.net. We have a lot of fun in our uh, Slack channel being able to hang out there. You can find me at Greg Thompson, G-R-E-G-T-O-M-P-S-E-T-T, having fun with Bills fans, going back and forth with people all the time. Uh, I, I think I technically have an Instagram and a Facebook page, but I pretty much just live on Twitter. Again, that's Greg Thompson, Cover One Buffalo podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Thompson. Fresh to Northeast Ohio from Coming Georgia often referred to as the Cleveland of Lake Lanier. Huge thank you to Greg Thompson for stopping by tonight, helping us close out what is our training camp preview series this year. Chris, I think it's been informative. I think one of the biggest takeaways we've had from this is that there's not a whole lot of true competition to be had this year, is there? No. I mean, as you heard in the intro to the show, McDermott talked about the depth. There's depth everywhere. This is... And I think with the defensive line, there are not only do we have depth, but we have versatility. Versatility is going to be important. Depth is going to be important. But ultimately, I genuinely like how this team was constructed compared to their peers. As we kept going back to talking about the AFC East as a whole, we kept going back to that idea that compared to these guys, our team is a dream in terms of constitution. So... It's with that in mind that later this week, we're going to have Mark Schofield of the Sco Show on Pat's Pulpit and from USA Today's Touchdown Wire over there working with Doug Farrar, formerly of NFL.com, to kick off our AFC East training camp preview series, or AFC East roundup training yeah. camp preview series. We're petty sons of bitches, and the Patriots are clearly our first targets. As they should be. <laughs> Folks, thank you for tuning in each and every week. We cannot wait for the regular season to get back. Meanwhile, we have plenty of content ahead for you. Make sure you're following us at Twitter uh, on Twitter at Rockpile Report. Follow Greg Thompson at Greg Thompson, and uh, email us at Rockpile Report seven one six at gmail Chris, it's been fun. It's been loads of fun, but we gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pal Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.